0: So turn to uh, John 14, and we'll just start in 1. John 14, verse 1. And the reason I want you to, to turn there, we're actually going to kind of do a little bit of a triangle tonight in, in Scripture. We're going to look at several several, several verses um, but I wanted you to turn to a couple of them, and this is one of them. So what I want you to do right there, this thingy, marky thingy here, I want you to take it, and I want you to mark this in your Bible because I want you to read this whole chapter later. Right now, we're only going to look at a little bit of it. Okay, John 14, verse 1, it says, Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. And then for the rest of the chapter, Jesus tells his disciple, uh, his disciples, what life is going to look like for those who follow him, those who believe. He said, believe in God, believe also in me. And then over in verse 16, if you read on down, and we're not going to right now, but in verse 16, he introduces the Holy Spirit into the conversation. He calls him the helper, the spirit of truth that will be given to them and that will stay with them forever. I really do wish we had time to read the whole chapter. But what you gather from what Jesus is teaching in this chapter is what you believe will dictate how you live. And if you don't have, if you don't get anything else, at least get that, because that can sum up a lot of questions, a lot of wondering. Okay, so write that down. It's like a sermon in a sentence. What you believe will dictate what Uh, How you will live. And since we are on a journey of really, really trying to live the life of Jesus Christ, then this is important to know what we believe is going to help us live that life. And listen, Jesus wasn't just talking about himself, Uh, he was very, very, very clearly um, said, uh, it's, it's about believing in God. It's believing also in me. And he, again, he goes down to talk about believing in the Holy Spirit. And so there's this three-man team. You can write that somewhere around here. If you like to write things in your, in your book, I actually have all this stuff drawn out. It helps me kind of focus. But um, there's this three-man team that helps us to uh, produce uh, the life that Jesus came, it talks about in John 10, 10, to give us, which is an abundant life. There's this three-man team working together to accomplish that goal in our life. And so what we're gonna do for the next three weeks is we're gonna gonna study the Trinity, okay? The Trinity is another way of, of talking about a triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They are one, but they are also three unique personalities, the Trinity, how many of you have heard that word? Okay, That word is not in the Bible. Well, that's, not in the, that's not biblical because it's not in the Bible. The word trinity is not in the Bible, but the concept that God is three in one is all over the Bible. Amen? And so we're going to look at that because if what we believe dictates how we live, then I want to know what I believe about God, what I believe about his Son, and what I believe about the Holy Spirit. Nick is actually going to be teaching next week about God the Son, God the Savior. And so you don't want to miss it. Nick is a very good teacher. Most people don't realize that. He is, isn't he? And so you got to come, and he's hilarious too. So you will at least laugh. No. All right. So here's, what, here's the deal. So Jesus said, believe in God. Believe also in me. But you got to look at what he said right before that. Okay, so look at your Bible. Right before that, he says, do not let your heart be troubled. If you read chapter 13 and, and even back into 12, you realize that Jesus just said, guys, I'm going to be dying pretty soon. So he just basically uh, predicted that he was going to die. He predicted that Judas was going to betray him, he, the one who would betray him. He also predicted that Peter was going to deny him. So there's all this stuff going on. Everybody's like frowning. Hey, dude, this, we've been having a good time here. You're killing the party. But Jesus is like, well, there's some things that are going to happen. You need to know that. He's basically saying, guys, there's a storm coming. There's some difficult time coming coming and then later in chapter 16 um, he gives a little bit more specifics about the dangers that are coming up and he said I've told you all of this so that you may have peace in me in other words that you don't freak out because when it comes it's going to hit it's going to hit hard I don't want you to freak out I want you to have peace he goes on to say here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows that's another way of saying life is full of storms is that true or is that not true how many of you remember the Randy Travis song, um, The Storms of Life? You guys remember the old song? Well, go Google it, okay? It's a good song. Randy Travis, I'm digging up bones. Okay, what I'm trying to say is that that is a reality that you cannot escape. That reality that life is full of storms literally is just as real as the statement, there is a God. Okay, it's just as real. Okay, we serve a God, we're in God, we're in Christ, we're saved. And another thing that you can count on is if you're living life on this earth, you will have trials, tribulations. There will be a storm because life is full of storms. Well, we're trying to live the life of Jesus Christ. Well, Jesus said, all the more. If they hated me, they're going to hate you. Get ready. A storm is coming, guys. But look what he says. Take heart in in chapter 16. He says, but take heart because I have overcome the world. And listen, when he says, I have overcome the world, he's also saying, I have overcome any storm that is or will be. That's good news, isn't it? Take heart because I have overcome the world. Now, this idea of taking heart is like saying, okay, steady yourself. If a storm is coming, take heart. Steady yourself. Steadying yourself means find something solid. If a storm is coming, it's kind of like you guys ever watch that uh, show Twister? Remember towards the end, right there at the end, they're trying to send these little study things up into the twister and they go up close to it and they find themselves in a barn and, they, and, and, this, and they're like, oh, hello. the tornado turns towards them. They run into this barn, tie themselves to these pipes that apparently go thousands of feet and you see the storm like, and they're like up, you know, just together. And I'm like, how are you not freaking out right now? But they're not, they're just like, this is what happens when you're in a tornado. Like people that study and chase tornadoes obviously are weird. My point is, my point is, is um, to take heart means to steady yourself. Steady yourself. Find something solid. He says, "Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me." Let me let me back up real quick and say this. You remember last week we talked about how a lot of people in the church have a concept of God. These feel uh, uh, how do you say that philosophical um, <laughs> generalities of God. Yeah, God is a God. But listen, and this is what I said last week. And this I'm kind of. Continuing with this, I suppose, listen, it it can't be about concepts. It's got to be about things that are concrete, things that you can anchor yourself to. Philosophy, that's just about what you think about something. Okay, I'm talking about concrete, certain uh, theology that you believe. And I know that that theology is like, we believe this, he can believe that and whatever. But there are some truths that you got to hang on to. Otherwise, when the storm comes, you're going to be, it doesn't matter what you tie yourself to. The only anchor is the concrete truth of God's word. And so he says, steady yourself, take heart, steady yourself. Because when the storms of life come, you're going to be swept away unless you have something to anchor to. Write this down. What we believe about God will anchor us in the storms of life. What we believe about God will anchor us in the storm of life. Now, I thought about the story in Acts 27. We're not going to turn there, but I'll just give you a brief. I would encourage you to go and read that. Acts 27, it's a a great story. But this is where the Apostle Paul was put on a ship to Rome after he had shared his faith with King Agrippa. And in verse 9, there's all this stuff going on. I don't have time to go into it. But the voyage, they put him on a ship to Rome after he had had witnessed to King Agrippa. Agrippa almost got saved. He said, dude, you almost got me. You almost got me saved. This stuff sounds so good. Okay, but he didn't. They sent him to Rome on a ship, all right? In verse 9, it says that the voyage had become dangerous. Paul told the crew. If you read, you hear that Paul told the crew, a storm is coming. A storm is coming and it's not going to be good for the ship or for us. But they didn't listen to him. They kept going. And eventually, it got really scary. And so along the shore, at some point, they realized that the storm was driving them towards the coast, towards land. And they were going to hit some rocks. It says, um, uh, side note, Paul had told them a little bit earlier that God had told him, Hey guys, listen, God told me that everything's going to be all right. We're going to lose this ship but we 're going to be okay, God had spoke that to him okay, and then in verse twenty nine it says that they were so afraid that they would be driven against the rocks along the shore that they threw out four anchors from the back of the ship and prayed for daylight. <laughs> all of a sudden they got real spiritual they didn 't listen to him. God told them uh, you know had spoken to him there 's going to be a storm it says i pers- I have perceived that there 's a storm coming, but they didn 't listen to him, okay they just kept going, but then God came to Paul and said they didn't listen to you, dude. Don't worry. Everything's going to be fine. Here's what's going to happen. And so when they start freaking out, Paul's like, guys, take courage. God spoke to me that things are going to be all right. We're going to lose the ship, but we're going to be all right. Okay? And he, listen to what it says. They were so afraid that they would be driven against the rocks that they threw out four anchors from the back of the ship and prayed for daylight. Now, I can't help, I guess maybe it's because I'm a preacher or I don't know, but I can't help but ask what for things do we need to believe about God that will anchor us in the midst of a storm and you can write that question down what four things do I need to believe about God that will anchor me in the midst of a storm in fact in verse 25 when he tells the guys to keep courage he says keep uh, keep courage men for I believe God I mean he just said it I love that I underlined it circled it and marked it with a B you know what I mean In my Bible, I believe God that it will turn out just as he said he would. There's something that he was anchored to. Now, what are those anchors? What for if in the physical there was four anchors that they dropped and they prayed for daylight? You know, those sorrow lasts for the night. Joy comes in the morning. I think that's probably where we're like, I heard that one time. Let's pray that. (laughs) They pray for daylight. Okay, but that's a good question. What four things do I need to believe about God that will anchor me in the midst of a storm? And I thought about this. Okay, what? Seriously, I mean, what four anchors? I'm thinking, I'm thinking, how do you narrow it down to just four? I mean, you guys do know God's big, right? How do you, how do you narrow down four things about God as anchors that'll, that'll help you um, weather a storm? Because God's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's all-present. He's, He's sovereign. I mean, there's these words that we throw out. How do you How do you find just four? And so if I were to narrow it down to four, which I'm going to, I want to know what God's description of himself was. And you find that in Exodus 34. There's other places where God will say this about himself or that about himself. But Exodus 34 is a very, very good explanation about who he is, what he's about. And he himself said it, so you can trust that it was real. Amen? So turn to Exodus 34. A little backstory on this. This is where Moses is, is coming down. He's, he's about to um, do the whole tablets of stone thing again. Let me find it here. So he says, cut out two stones of tablet like the former ones. This is the second second time you guys know the story. If you don't, go ahead and read it on your own time. It's great. It says, then the Lord ascended, I'm sorry, descended in the cloud and stood there with him, with Moses, as he called upon the name of the Lord. In other words, as Moses was worshiping, calling upon the name of the Lord, then the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed. So it's like God did this. Now, this is stupid. And so God didn't do it this way. But it's like he did this. It's like if like for me, I'm going to be real dumb right now. Okay. But it's like, if I were to do what, it's like I'm going, I got on a red shirt. Check out my socks. I can run fast. I don't know. It's like he started proclaiming things about himself. He's just walking in front of Moses. What's up, Moses? I am this. I am that. And look what he says about himself. First of all, he says, the Lord, the Lord God, he says it twice, as in, I'm, what I'm saying is true and it will never change He says the Lord, the Lord God, compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness. And he goes on to say, and truth. And he also goes on to say, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who gives iniquities, transgressions, and sin, yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquities of the father on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. So he says a lot of stuff there. He talks about his... um, gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, rich in love, he's full of truth, he's also full of justice. And we could talk about those other things, but remember we're focusing on four and we would not be the first ones to focus on the first four things that he said. If you look in scripture, and most of you didn't even maybe even know that this was in Exodus 34 because you've read it in the Psalms a couple times. You've read it in the book of Jonah. Maybe you've read it in the book of Joel, the prophet Joel, in Psalm 103 it says he has made known his ways to Moses. He's referring to this event, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is gracious and gracious and compassionate. Actually, he says compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. Period. He just lists the four. He didn't go on to talk about truth, he didn't go on to talk about his justice. He listed those four. In Psalm 145, he does it again. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, rich in love. Period. So he focused on those four things. The prophet Joel said, rend your heart, not your garments, or rip your heart, not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love. He goes on to say he relents from sending calamity, but he focuses on those four things. And then in Jonah, you guys all know the story of Jonah. Jonah said, go pray for the, um, preach the truth to the Ninevites. And he didn't want to go, but he eventually went. And God uh, blessed him he didn't destroy him and he says that he prayed to the Lord after he didn't destroy Nineveh isn't this what I said Lord when I was still at home before I left before you told me to go whenever and I ran the other way isn't this what I said would happen and the reason it happened he said this is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish I knew that you were gracious and compassionate slow to anger and abounding in love a God who relents from sending calamity So even Jonah, who we're familiar with that story, the reason God didn't destroy Nineveh, uh, Nineveh, Jonah said, is because he's gracious, compassionate, slowing the anger, rich in love. And so I'm I'm thinking to myself, those are four anchors. Those four things in the midst of a, a storm, if you get them in your heart and you have a good, solid, concrete understanding and belief around those four things, will help you weather a storm. And I want to show you how. Go ahead and start writing if you're ready. What is it about these four things that will anchor us in a storm? First thing is gracious. And if you take a note, you just write that down and just write as much as you can. I'm actually not going to say a whole lot because you can go forever on any one of these. But I'm just going to give you a little bit of a snippet. Think about um, the things that we've heard grace defined as. We've heard grace defined as his, as his power. Uh, we've heard grace defined as his strength, his help, um, his favor. And all those things are true. You know, it's a very vast word um, as his protection, his favor, and those things are all right. But I was reading some commentaries and studying, and this word gracious actually comes from the idea of bending and stooping in kindness to an inferior. Okay, get that in your head. To bend or stoop in kindness or to favor or to bestow, in other words, to help, for someone who is extremely worthy, extremely, uh, extremely superior, to bow down, to stoop down to something that is completely unworthy or inferior. That's the idea. The Lord is someone who is so completely worthy and superior to any and everything that even exists. And yet, there are times when He will stoop down extend his hand to those who are completely unworthy, completely inferior. Well, that's that's a little different than just he's power, he's good. You know what I mean? It's like, well, there's, there's, a, there's a picture there. So when he says the Lord is gracious, what he's saying is the Lord is someone, it doesn't matter who you are, where you've been, the Lord, have, he'll, he'll reach down, extend a hand, and he will help you. It's kind of like, you know, you're walking along, like, how many of our kids have, after service, wandered up on stage, and you see them, and all of a sudden, they go, you know, they fall. My daughter used to do it all the time before she could walk that well, okay, at the other building, actually. And how many times have I even seen some of you go, oh, baby, you know, and help her up? What you just did is you showed grace. You were gracious to my daughter, and I've been gracious to some of your kids, you know what I mean? I graciously took them to the back and, no, I'm kidding. (laughs) But that's the idea of grace, and here's the thing. Without grace as an anchor, we will believe that our unworthiness keeps us from his kindness. So think about that in the midst of a storm. You're in the midst of the storm. It's crazy. It's it's just all around you. You feel like it's never going to end and you want it to end, but you feel like it won't end because you're not worthy enough for it to end. And maybe you won't even call out to God because it's like, I'm so inferior and he's so superior. I'm so unworthy and he is completely worthy. Why would he help? But, that's, but you're not understanding something about God. There's an anchor that you, have, that you are not having in your life. Without grace as an anchor, we're going to believe that our unworthiness will keep us from his kindness. But that's not true. You hear what I'm saying? I think it's great that the songs we sang tonight all kind of, they swam in the same pool and then Melissa got up and shared about um, you know, trials and difficulties and all that. Listen, how many of you have gone through the fire And how many of you felt, I don't know if I'll ever get out of this fire. And how many of you at different times, maybe all of us, depending, have failed to call out to the Lord and even ask for help because you just didn't feel worthy enough? The truth is, like we talked about last week, is you'll never be worthy enough. But it's not about you. Grace never depends upon you. It's His grace. He's the one that gracious, is gracious, and he, he doesn't look at anything. He just stoops down and says, here you go, buddy. Isn't that good? That's one anchor, that he is gracious. Psalm, one, uh, Psalm 46 says that God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in time of trouble. In other words, there's never a time that he's not willing to extend his grace to us, ever. Well, it's just not good enough. Well, it doesn't matter. It's free. You don't have to be good enough. Again, we can teach on grace and being gracious all day long, bending, stooping down, in kindness. The second anchor is compassion. The Lord is compassionate. God is compassionate. And I thought about this because I am. I am by. I don't know if by nature. I don't know if that's the right way to say that. But I have not been in life a very compassionate. Um, Person, I think I've confessed that before. Somebody gets hurt, I'm like, (laughs) that's what you get. (laughs) You know what I mean? I mean, really, it's just not a very compassionate person. Well, because of that, for me, and maybe you're this way too, when I'm going through something, when I skin my spiritual knee, I don't feel like the Lord is compassionate to me. You guys hear what I'm saying? And yet that's not true. He is gracious and he is compassionate. It's naturally very hard for me and maybe some of you guys to show compassion to someone especially when they got themselves into the mess. You guys know what I'm talking about? Again, that's what you get, you know? Psalm 78, 38 says, But he, being full of compassion, forgave their iniquity, did not destroy them. Yes, many a time. I love that. Yes, many a time he turned his anger away. It did not stir up all his wrath. I love that. Here's the deal. Without compassion as an anchor... We're going to believe that God could care less about our pain. I want you to hear me because there, this is deep inside of a lot of us. If that is not an anchor in your life, compassion, that God is compassionate, you're just going to go around believing that God could care less about what you're going through and that it hurts. But that's not true. Where we fail to have compassion all the time, where we fail to say, when we tend to say that's what you get, Jesus is like, I'm compassionate and I am moved. I've said this before and it's kind of gross, but that word compassion literally means in that, in that language, it means to be moved to someone's bowels. In other words, when it hits you, I got to go. You guys know what I'm talking about? That's literally what it means. When that compassion hits the Lord, he can't not go and move and extend a hand. Isn't that good? But if you don't believe that, you're going to think that he just could care less about your pain. There was a time where Nehemiah was praying for the people. You know, he's trying to restore the walls of Jerusalem and, and get the worship back into the people of Israel. And he and says, he's praying, and he says, nevertheless, and you guys know the deal. They, they had been scattered, they had been, in, um, uh, you know, all over the place. And, but he's bringing them back and he says, nevertheless, in your great compassion, you did not make an end of them or forsake them. For you are a gracious and compassionate God. That's what, he, that's what he said to God as he was praying for God's people. A people that deserve what they got. But he said, you didn't make an end to them. You didn't forsake them. Psalm 72 says that he's going to have compassion on the poor and the needy. And the lives of the needy, he will save. That's who God is. But if you don't believe that, then you're just going to continue on in your pain, not even crying out, because you think he doesn't care to begin with. The next one is slow to anger. The Lord is gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, and um, some of your versions say may may say long suffering, may say patient, and that's essentially what that means. To be slow to anger means he's a patient God. He can suffer long. He can he can go through a lot before and, um, he's not quick tempered. That's another way. It, Does anybody say that? Maybe the message version? Maybe I read that one time. That God's not quick-tempered. Here's the thing I thought about that, uh, slow to anger. When I'm going through a storm, here's the two things I will at some point typically think. Either my sin got me here or my sin keeps me here. When I'm going through this, oh, I guess God's punishing me because I did this or I did that. And you know what? I'm not saying that there is not discipline that God brings to his children. Scripture says that he disciplines those that he loves. And I'm not saying that there are not consequences for our actions, especially sinful ones. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that God, because he's not, slow, he's not um, quick-tempered, he's slow to anger. Some of you need to hear this right now. God is not like your dad who blows up at you at the drop of a hat. You guys have to understand, I am super quick-tempered, way less so than when I was younger. But I have three boys who are crazy. And man, I can snap just like that. Boys, sit down. Boys, whatever. And that's one of the things that grieves me. You know how as a parent you grieve the things that you're sowing into your kids because you feel like that's how they're going to view God? You guys know what I'm talking about? And that's one of the things that grieves me. I work hard not to be quick-tempered. But I want my kids to know that God's not quick-tempered. God's not going to bust your chops every time you do something. It's not to say he's not going to discipline you when you do something. But we get this idea that as soon as I do something wrong, boom, God's there to slap you on the back of the neck. That's just not the way it is. My sin got me here. Listen, maybe, but maybe not. It could be a consequence. It could be, it should be something that God's using to grow you up and strengthen you. And then sometimes we're in the midst of it and we think it's my sin that's keeping me here. And what I mean by that is how many of you, when you've been going through a trial, a tough time, it's just not fun that you gripe, you complain, you moan, you're not content. Am I the only one that's like that? And so we know that we're not supposed to be that way, right? And so here's what we think. I'm never going to, until I can stop this, God's not going to stop this storm, my attitude is right, and that's why this won't end. Well, that could be true, but it could be that God's just patient; It has nothing to do with your attitude in the midst of this. God's—it's just, just not time for that trial to be over. And you know, it just, the Scripture says that um, Jesus learned obedience through what? Through suffering. And so, anyway, there's this whole thing I could go off on that, and I kind of felt like I would. I'm trying not to. <laughs> but we have to be careful to think that every sin, uh, every sin, sins. A storm, because it's not always true. God's just up to things in our lives. Sometimes it's, it is about discipline. Sometimes it's just about building us up. Peter said, the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some think people, some people think he's slow. No, he is being patient for your sake, because he doesn't want anyone to be destroyed. He wants everyone to come to repentance. So you can say it this way. Without, without patience, without believing that the Lord is patient, We will believe that God is quick to see us suffer. And it's just not true. He's patient. And the last one is rich in love. Rich in love. Um, This one is vast because there's so many definitions for this word. Some of your versions say rich in mercy. Some of your versions say rich in loving kindness. Some of your versions say rich in kindness or abounding in kindness. All kinds of different translations there. But I, I want to I just focus on one that we don't hear about a lot. And it's actually the number one definition if you look at um, the New American Standard study thing. And it's this. Deeds of devotion. That the Lord is rich In deeds of devotion. In other words, he is committed to doing whatever he has to do for you, in you, to you, to complete the work that he has started in you. You guys hear what I'm saying? So he is abounding in deeds of devotion. And I love this. This is what we sang about. This is what we were worshiping um, to these thoughts is that. He doesn't give up on us. He doesn't forsake us. He doesn't stop loving us. He is who He is to us. The Lord is gracious. He's compassionate. He's slow to anger. And He is willing to do, He's so devoted to you that He will will allow what needs to happen in your life for you to come to the place where you're completely surrendered to the Lord. How many of you have seen that movie, The Life of Pi? Have you seen that? I actually just watched it today and I I was like, whoa, this is so weird. There's this scene, if you don't know, um, he uh, was a Muslim, right? I, I missed some parts of it. My boys were watching it. And, uh, but anyway, at some point, he wanted to follow Jesus. He wanted to be baptized. He wanted to follow Jesus. And that was kind of at the beginning. And they were all like, are you crazy? Are you crazy? Anyway, short of long, he ends up um, being part of, a, of a, a, a storm out at sea and gets uh, lost. And it's a really interesting movie, so you'd have to see it. But there's this one scene where um, he's out there, he's been trying to survive, and, and then this storm brews up. You guys remember that, that scene? Very kind of close towards the end, but more towards the middle. And this storm brews and there's all this thunder and lightning and waves, and he's like, he's like, whoa! And he starts kind of praising God. And there's lightning and there's flashes and there's this. I mean, this is a very majestic scene as it relates to a picture of the power of God. And he could have said, God, you're powerful. Whoa, look at you, you know, you're majestic. Oh, but you know what he said? And I thought this was crazy because this is what I was sharing about tonight. I literally watched this this afternoon. He said, he said something to the effect of praise you, God, or master or something. And then he said, compassionate and merciful. <laughs> it's like, okay, wait a minute. You are in the middle of this boat with a tiger, if you've never seen the movie, surrounded by sharks. Lightning is about to cook your goose. You know what I mean? And you're out there saying, compassionate, merciful. I don't know. You guys, isn't that just strange that the thing right there, and he survived, and this is a big story, but in that moment, he listed two of the four anchors that we're talking about tonight. And I know it's just a movie. I don't know who wrote it. I heard it's a true story. And I wonder if that is what he said. And is that linked back to maybe a period of time where he was trying to get to know Christ and studied some things about God or whatever? I don't know. It's just a movie, but whoa. Of all the things we could anchor ourselves, and there are lots of things, like I said, but what if we anchored ourselves? Had concrete... um, beliefs about God as our Father. And by the way, do you notice that those are attributes of a a Father, the Father? He's gracious, He's compassionate, He's slow to anger, He's rich in love. And if you look, and and that's why I wanted you to read John 14 on your own, mark it and read it, because Jesus goes on and on and on and on about the Father. The Father and I are one. I am in the Father, you are in me, I am in you. And it's this whole picture of the Trinity at work in our lives. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. You know? You guys hear, what, hear me? Go ahead and stand if you would. I didn't give you that last one. Without love as an anchor, we will believe God has abandoned us to weather the storm alone. Without God as our anchor, we will believe that God has abandoned us to weather the storm alone. Man, it's just, I don't know, it doesn't matter how spiritual you are. There are times when we feel absolutely alone in the boat in the midst of a storm. Am I the only one that's ever felt that way? And I just want to encourage you, you know, as we move forward of of living the life of Jesus Christ, that life, Jesus said, is going to be full of storms. And if we're going to live it the way Jesus lived it, then we've got to be a person that's able to sleep in the boat while everybody else is freaking out. You guys hear what I'm saying? Why did he do that? He's, I know God's going to, he's fine. He'll stoop down and help us. I'm not even worried. Jesus is like, why are you freaking out? And he just went, shh, to the waves, and they were done. And I tell you, um, the Lord can do the same thing for you. In the end, we submit to his timing and his work and his will. Amen? But he can end that. But what are you anchored to? So let me pray for us, and. Um